Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. The Volume. The NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today, and you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs, and the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205 To make the playoffs, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H O O P S. New customers can bet five bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H O O P S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.1800Gambler.net. In New York, call 8778. Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. Got a jam-packed show for you today. The New York Knicks continuing their dominance after trading for OG Ananobi completely just demolished the Denver Nuggets last night. We're going to be breaking that game down and talking about the recent success of the New York Knicks. After that, I want to talk about Jonathan Kaminga 
and his recent success with the Warriors now complicates their trade deadline situation. There is a pretty insane trend from the young Jonathan uh, Jonathan Kaminga as he is on the rise in this league. And then lastly, we have four or five, it looks like six or seven actually, mailbag questions from yesterday's show that I'm going to go through. So tons of stuff to get into around the league today. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feeds if you're more into the uh, kind of like uh, podcast format of this show. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. It's also, as I just found out, very important for you guys to review, not just rate the show, but leave a review. So it would mean a lot to me. Those of you guys who listen on the podcast feed, if you guys could take a second to rate the show and leave a review there as well. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT, so you guys don't miss show announcements as well as the film threads that I do in the mornings. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them throughout the season. All right, let's talk some basketball. So the Nuggets ran into a buzzsaw last night. They uh, the, the Knicks put OG Ananobi on Jamal Murray, and he immediately just started putting physical ball pressure on him and funneling them into their help scheme. Uh, he also, OG Ananobi was really impactful defensively in this game. He also forced Jokic into a couple of turnovers. There was one where he was guarding Murray out at the three-point line, and he took just like one single lunge step and dug down at the basketball and knocked it free. It was kind of a crazy athletic play just from the amount of space he uh, covered while still being able to get back to Jamal, and he forced a turnover over that way. There was another one where he was two passes away in a rotation and he did a, what's what I call a windshield wiper rotation where you basically see the next defender in the chain leaving his man to go and you go at the same time as him and how they can throw off a, an offensive player when Jokic is expecting an opening to be there and when he throws into that opening OG Ananobi just jumps the gap and gets out in transition and gets an and one. He was super impactful in this game defensively. Again, Jamal Murray specifically, he's strong and he's an awesome shot maker, but he's not like the most athletic guy in the world. And so I actually like when teams use bigger, stronger wings on him. I remember even just covering the Lakers last year in the postseason run, Dennis Schroeder like had a lot of success against Steph and then he ran into Jamal and it was like, oh, he's just like too small. He's just not big and strong enough to be able to bother Jamal in any uh, serious way, right? That's where you add in a... Uh, John, uh, like literally a OG and an OB type big strong wing where those like really hard step back moves where he's creating contact contact and stuff just don't generate as much separation. The Knicks in general kind of struggled with Jokic early. Remember Isaiah Hartenstein <clears throat> didn't play in this one and Jericho Sims is a really good athlete but obviously somewhat of a limited uh, defensive player and he kept like leaving Jokic to contest shots elsewhere and every time he did Jokic was just getting wide open offensive rebound putbacks right under the basket, right? So like Jokic was at, had it going, but they basically shut everything else down that Denver was trying to do. And then the Knicks offense was cooking. Dante DiVincenzo, I thought was the big difference maker that like Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson were playing well. Jalen Brunson was picking on Jamal Murray and switches and, and Julius Randle was getting buckets on Aaron Gordon at a big and one float early in the game. But the big like swing factor offensively early on was Dante DiVincenzo. He just came out gunning, hit a couple of tough contested threes and then beat a closeout to drive into the lane. He's been one of the best closeout attackers in the league this year, which we're going to talk about when we do our deep dive here in a few minutes. But they basically just ran him off the floor. And, you know, real quickly on the Denver side of things, this is the kind of thing that can happen a lot in the NBA regular season. I, I refer to these as buzzsaw games. And 
it even extends into the playoffs, especially my favorite playoff bet for a buzzsaw game is game three for the team down 2-0 going back home. Because one of the things I've I, I've you know really focused in on in the last five years on the NBA is the idea of like oscillating effort. And essentially like there are in the regular season, there's oscillating effort and urgency slash desperation. But you get to the postseason, everyone's playing hard, but urgency and desperation can kind of swap back and forth, right? So like in the regular season, it's like, are you playing hard? How how much does the other team need this game? So on and so forth, right? Get to the postseason, every team needs every game. But there is a desperation element. And like a lot of times you can find betting opportunities where it's like, oh, this team's up three games to one and they're going on the road. It's like, okay, so you're you're taking a desperate season about to end team at home. Like that's just a good bet. You know what I mean? Or down 2-0 at home. It's like that team has to win that game or they go down 3-0, which is the historical death sentence in the NBA, right? So like it's a little more predictable when you get into the postseason. But in the regular season, it can still happen. And like this is a Denver team that just went into Boston and beat the Boston Celtics and then just ran into an absolute buzzsaw in New York, a team playing excellent basketball, really wanted to win that game to legitimize some of their success that they're having, and they end up losing. So this is a great example of a game where I want to focus on what New York is doing really well rather than focusing on Denver, a team that I'm not particularly worried about even though they got blown out in that particular game. So OG Ananobi played his first game for the Knicks on January 1st. Since then, the Knicks are 11-2, 13th in, off, uh, in offense, number one defense in the league by a mile. From the opening tip, they are in your jersey in a very physical way and a lot of different facets of the game. Specifically, uh, at the point of attack, Dante DiVincenzo and OG Ananobi are two excellent point of attack defenders who also are plus offensive players, which is you know uh, not relative, uh, related to this specific point, but it starts on the defensive end. Those two guys are in your jersey, aggressive physical ball pressure. They set a tone, they get guys out of rhythm and that's like a vitally important piece of that defense because they don't really have rim protection. Like I really like the Precious Achua inclusion in that trade, especially in light of the Mitchell Robinson injury, but like even with Isaiah Hartenstein and uh, Precious Achua as your two primary uh, centers that you're playing, you're not really all that uh, much in the way of like legitimate rim protection. And so in that case, it's vitally important to be very competitive at the point of attack because you you need to prevent as many straight line drives as possible to prevent to pr- uh, create more achievable help situations for your backline guys because your backline guys aren't going to be three, four feet above the rim like Anthony Davis where you can get beat off the dribble because he's just such a rim deterrent, right? So like Dante DiVincenzo and OG, OG Ananobi set the tone early it's the foundational piece of their defense. From there, I think their defense comes from uh, their overall physical imposition on the game. OG Ananobi and Julius Randle are super strong. You know, Dante DiVincenzo and Jalen Brunson are very strong for guards. They play a physical brand of offense too, right? Like they crash the offensive glass more aggressively and more successfully than any team in the league. They were already the number one offensive rebounding team in the league before the OG and OG Ananobi trade. They've continued that trend into January. They get 13 offensive rebounds a game. Precious Achua in particular has been really, really good in their offensive rebounding attack. He's getting something crazy like 13 rebounds per 36 minutes since he came over and I want to say like six offensive rebounds like five or six offensive rebounds per 36 minutes so they've just added another layer to that attack right they hit you 
They hit you and they hit you and they hit you and you get tired and you miss shots. This is a concept I've talked about a lot on this show, right? Opponents are shooting just 31% from three against the Knicks since the trade. That's the second best mark in the league. They've allowed the fourth fewest wide open threes in the league. That means the defender's at least six feet away since the trade. And teams are shooting just 36% on those wide open threes, which is the fifth best mark in the league. And this is where a lot of guys are going to be like shooting luck. Like, oh, the Knicks are winning games because opponents are missing shots. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. I do think shooting luck is a factor in shot result, but it is a smaller factor than a lot of the more controllable uh, controllable factors on the table. I think if you're physical at the point of attack, physical chucking cutters and boxing out, physical atta- uh, like uh, uh, attacking the offensive glass, physical in your like bully ball attack from guys like Julius Randle and OG Ananobi, and even Jalen Brunson's got a little bully ball in his game, right? Like when you're hitting people all the time, it's a very different type of basketball game than the types of basketball games that they're playing elsewhere in their 82 game schedule. And that stuff just leads to, in my opinion, a different type of shot than what you'd expect. I've said this a lot of times on the show, like a wide open three for the same shooter in the same spot of the floor is never the same. Never the same. It's 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 swung in a lot of ways by the factors around uh, that that are taking place around you in that game. Now, obviously, there's luck because let's just say for the sake of making easy math, let's say a guy shoots you know fifty percent on a wide open three against everyone else, and then you know thirty five percent on a wide open three against the Knicks. Like obviously, even in that case, some of them are going in, some of them are missing. So there is variance there. But in my opinion, the gap between 35 and 50 is quantified mostly by process and and not by luck. And so that's just something that I want to point out. Um, And it's just a kind of like my personal belief system as it, as it pertains to the game of basketball. Like I think the Knicks, uh, a big part of their defense is they just from the opening tip play a super physical brand of basketball. It wears teams out. It changes those open shots into more difficult shots. Teams shoot more poorly in them. And that's a big driving uh, force behind their defense and the success they've had since the trade. Uh, on the offensive end of the floor, by the way, we've had stretches of dominant Knicks defense early in the season as well for similar reasons. So that's a, a pretty consistent theme. On the offensive end, Jalen Brunson is still playing like a superstar, 28-4-8 and eight in January. Julius Randle, 25-8-6 and six in January. OG Ananobi has basically been a 50-40-90 guy on 15.5 points per game. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, again, I wanted to call attention to his closeout attacking. He's getting 1.23 points per spot-up possession for the season. He's been the second best high-volume spot-up guy in the league. Among high-volume guys, right? There's been 16 players that have had at least 200 spot-up possessions. Dante DiVincenzo's 1.23 is second best behind, take a guess, Michael Porter Jr., right where he usually is, the best spot-up guy in the league, right? So you're getting a the guard version of Michael Porter Jr. within this season for the Knicks in the form of Dante DiVincenzo while also getting outstanding point-of-attack defense on the other end of the floor. He's been one of the best 3-and-D guards in the league this season, a home run signing for the Knicks. And the last guy I wanted to shout out was Deuce McBride. Like uh, His minutes have skyrocketed ever since the Emmanuel Quickly inclusion in the trade for OG and OB. And he's just come in and been a guy who's competing at the point of attack and knocking down his three-point shot. And like shooting the shit out of the basketball, it, basically doing a, a really good job of a, of, of a kind of like a smaller version of what Emmanuel Quickly did as that bench guard. 
But the best part about all of this for the Knicks is they're playing a brand of basketball that is proven through NBA history to translate to the playoffs. They bring physicality in every level of the game. They thrive when things get ugly. That, to me, is a strong indicator of a a, a playoff translatability, right? And so what what I'm going to say about the Knicks is the same thing I said last year. It's going to come down to Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle going toe-to-toe with the best players in the league. Like going toe-to-toe with a Tatum and a Derek White or a Jalen Brown, right? Going toe-to-toe with a Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And like last year, what happened was is Jalen Brunson did. He outplayed Donovan Mitchell. He went toe-to-toe with Jimmy Butler, but he didn't have that secondary support from Julius Randle. I think OG Ananobi will help there as well in his own kind of way, but you're going to need OG Ananobi and Julius Randle combined to kind of give you the reasonable facsimile of a secondary star. And uh, again, like uh, Julius Randle was injured last year. I want to be clear. And Julius Randle is also very much a rhythm player. So like a big indicator of the the Knicks kind of like playoff ceiling this year is going to be, can Julius Randle get there healthy, but not just healthy, but like healthy for a while beforehand so that when he steps into those April games, he's just in shape and in rhythm rather than kind of like what he was last year where it's like he's on the floor, but he's not really Julius Randle, if that makes sense. But shout out to the Knicks playing some really good basketball. Loved that OG and an OB trade right when it happened to me it was an excellent example of of team building in the sense that like there was no superstar available smaller move on the margins to improve the aura of your franchise you obviously being the new york knicks helps as well you basically have everything but the bona fide superstar and, and if they can pull off that type of move down the line that's where they can really launch into that like perennial contention kind of thing. Uh, but I really, really like the measured approach to team building that the Knicks have gone with over the last couple of years. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. 
Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. All right. I want to move on to the Golden State Warriors and Jonathan Kaminga. So the Warriors lost a heartbreak game to the Sacramento Kings last night. Uh, shout out to Harrison Barnes, who was incredible in that particular game. Shout out De'Aaron Fox, who took over the game uh, down the stretch. Uh, uh, but like, uh, there were several key mistakes down the stretch from Steve Kerr, I thought. Uh, I want to point to one particular one. There was a, uh, a sequence where the Warriors were only down by one in about the middle of the fourth quarter. And a timeout was taken, and Steve Kerr decided he wanted to buy Jonathan Kaminga some rest, I think. And it was clear that's what he was going to do because Jonathan Kaminga was playing a great game. But Kaminga had only played 26 minutes up to that point. So I remember being like, why does he need rest? He's 21 years old and he's played 26 minutes. Like the kid's fine. There's six minutes left in the game. You need him out there. So they go into Dario Saric instead. And Harrison Barnes was on fire and they put Dario Saric on Harrison Barnes. I'm like watching the TV. I'm like, this is this is, seems like a disaster waiting to happen. And Ironically, it wasn't even Barnes. Barnes was actually cooking Clay Thompson uh, down the stretch. But there was a transition cross match when it was a one point game. And again, a transition cross match is like anytime there's some sort of like chaotic transition possession, the defensive principles change from, you know, guarding your matchup to guard the nearest guy. Like th- that's the principle of the, those are the principles of transition defense. Sprint back to the basket, fan out to the nearest guy. Basket first, then nearest player. And everyone just kind of guards anybody because it's more important to avoid those like wide open shots that you can give up in transition uh, than to give up a a, a, ma- a mismatch, right? Which you might be able to double and rotate out of, right? So uh, in this particular play, it's a transition cross match where De'Aaron Fox is bringing the ball up the floor and no one's there to guard De'Aaron Fox. And so Draymond Green and Dario Sarge in classic transition, they're already back. They're communicating to each other. Draymond points Sarge to pick up De'Aaron Fox. And so he does... And De'Aaron Fox, just his eyes light up. And Sarge is kind of panicky and, and backpedaling, which, by, by the way, is, is Sarge's job in that position. It's like you're already compromised by virtue of this mismatch. At least make him take a jump shot, right? But De'Aaron Fox just settles into like basically what amounts to a wide-open pull-up three. He hits it. He celebrates on his way down the floor. And then the very next possession, he hits another pull-up three against Brandon Podziemski. And like, I'm a big believer, like I was talking about earlier as it pertains to the Knicks, these kinds of things are intricately connected. And like, I don't even think De'Aaron Fox attempts that second three over Brandon Podziemski if he didn't just make the same type of shot over Dario Saric. And so that substitution to get Kaminga out of the game to bring in a, a player who's completely overmatched defensively under any circumstances, I thought was a, a, a driving force behind how they dug themselves in a little bit of a hole. Because now all of a sudden you're down seven, right? You're down seven with not a lot of time left. Then you bring Jonathan Kaminga back and you battle all the way back, right? You end up taking the lead and you're up by one with uh, with less than a minute left and there's a baseline out of bounds play, by the way, which was really interesting. They went with Kaminga, Wiggins, Draymond down the stretch of the game and uh, in those last like four minutes, and like theoretically, that should be a pretty athletic group that can rebound. But like the Kings got several key offensive rebounds on that final possession, ending in Steph kind of landing on the floor and getting an out of bounds call. 
and Steve Kerr doesn't challenge it. They come in out of the baseline, out of bounds, and Kevin Herter and Demonis Sabotis just run like a basic, like kind of flare screen action headed towards the corner, the strong side corner where the inbounder is. And so basically, Herter's at the top of the key. Sabonis comes up and sets a pick. Herter runs to that strong side corner. Steph is guarding Kevin Herter. Draymond's guarding Sabonis. Steph dies on the screen. And when he dies on the screen, Draymond then gets put in a predicament. He can either go guard Kevin Herter or he can stay home and concede that shot. Now, in the event that... So Draymond decides to run after Kevin Herter. Now, what you're supposed to do in that situation is when that switch takes place where the big screen defender basically runs out to the guard, the guard has to do what's called a peel-off switch where he basically peels off of his man and basically decides to box the big man as far out of the lane as possible. But instead... Steph stays on Demonis's high side, so when Draymond runs out to the corner, Demonis just slips right down underneath the basket. And so both of them messed up there. Steph shouldn't have died on the screen, and when he did, he should have peeled off onto Demonis Sabonis and tried to box him out of the lane. Draymond probably needs to be like, shit, Steph died on the screen. I'd rather give up a, a, a drifting jump shot for Kevin Herter in the strong side corner than a layup, right? But that's not what happens. Steph and Draymond botch the coverage. Uh, Sabonis slips down the middle of the lane. He gets a wide-open layup. The the Kings go up by one. On the final possession, and again, there's a lot, there was a lot of talk after the game about... Um, about like should Steve Kerr have called the timeout and like to me again when you when you focus on something like that that's uh, that to me is uh, kind of missing the plot of a game that ends one thirty four to one thirty three or whatever right uh, but like here's the thing there's pros and cons to both if you call a timeout you give the Kings a chance to game plan for you defensively that means Mike Brown's probably going to sit down in the huddle and be like how do we make sure Steph doesn't take the shot right so there's that probably ends in a double team and someone else shooting the ball anyway, right? But then the upside for the Warriors is they can be better organized. So for instance, like Jonathan Kaminga, when Steph got trapped and blitzed and was being dragged out to that like left side over by half court, Jonathan Kaminga was all the way in the right corner. And so like your second best offensive player on this particular night was in a position where he could do absolutely nothing to help you in that final possession. Whereas if Steve Kerr draws up the play, he probably draws it up in a way that involves a two-man game for Steph and Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga is at least involved in some way, shape, or form, even maybe just as a uh, as a decoy, right? So like that's the upside to potentially d- uh, calling a timeout, right? But like there's a version of that where you call a timeout, you have JK set the ball screen, here comes the blitz, Steph does the exact same thing where he tries to use a behind a between the legs retreat dribble to try to escape the blitz and maybe he turns it over again, right? So like to me it's not really worth focusing on and the whole point behind not calling a timeout is you're breeding chaos. And like Steph is one of the best chaos players in the history of basketball. So, like, if I was in that position as the coach of the team, I'm probably looking at that going, you know, six or seven seconds left. Steph has the ball. uh, Or, you know, I think it was like 15, 20 seconds, whatever it was. But Steph has the ball. It's a chaotic environment. Like, I trust him, right? Like, if there's one thing you could say, it's like when Steph was sprinting away from that blitz, maybe then you look to call a timeout. Just because, in general, it's really difficult to, with six seconds left, get the ball out of a blitz without the tip pass getting tipped or without the pass having to be super looping and then allowing a rotation and then to somehow get a shot out of that, right? So, like, if anything, he should have called a timeout after the blitz. But, again, that's a split-second set of circumstances. So, again, I'm not really of the opinion that that's what should be focused on. But 
that ends up being how the Warriors lose the game in in heartbreaking fashion as Steph dribbles the ball off his foot and De'Aaron Fox runs down and, you know, after the final buzzer, attempts a 360 windmill and gets rim stuffed. But uh, uh, excellent uh, win for the Sacramento Kings. First time winning in Golden State uh, in the regular season since 2020, which is crazy. And the Kings have been a little Jekyll and Hyde over the course of the last couple of months, but uh, they are a really good team. De'Aaron Fox is one of the best players in the league, and uh, especially that pull-up three-point shot has been the driving force of so much of his success uh, this season. But what I wanted to, to talk about in this particular game was Jonathan Kaminga because he's taken a leap right before our eyes. Last five games, averaging 26 points and six rebounds on 65% from the field, 56% from three, and 81% from the line. And on the basketball side of things, just no one can keep him in front off the dribble. Like he's doing most of this in like straight isos, straight post-ups, and transition rim runs. Like it's all his ridiculous combination of size and quickness, right? It's actually ironic because Kaminga turned the ball over on a late post-up of Harrison Barnes on the right block where I almost thought he was too quick for his own good. He made this aggressive move towards the middle and Harrison Barnes was trying to cut him off. But Kaminga spun back to his left before Harrison Barnes could get there. And so he ended up spinning right into Harrison Barnes while also taking contact from Sabonis and middle help. And Kaminga struggles to see middle help sometimes. Totally normal for a young player, right? Especially one who kind of plays on an island the way that Jonathan Kaminga does. Uh, He actually had a turnover a few possessions earlier with similar play where he kind of drove middle and did not see middle help. But again, like he's so damn quick that he had Harrison Barnes beat and counter moved back into Harrison Barnes before Harrison Barnes could finish being beat which goes to show you just how incredible his athletic tools are. And then you combine that with ridiculous rim finishing. He's shooting 67% at the rim this year, which for a young wing is incredible. He's great at drawing fouls. He's easily been the second best offensive player on the Warriors over the course of the last couple of weeks. I say all that to say this. Things are getting really complicated on this Jonathan Kaminga front. Now, before Warriors fans go like, oh, Jason, you're flip-flopping. Like you said, you should trade him. Um, this is new stuff. This is new information. To give you an idea, Jonathan Kaminga has gone for 20 plus points in five straight games. He had never even had two in a row before this stretch. He had 13 20 point games in his career before that point, never consecutively. So this last week and a half or two weeks sample of Jonathan Kaminga being like 26 and six, a consistent 20 point a game guy. This is new. This is not This is not uh, uh, some sort of like trend that's been taking place forever. And so basically what I'm saying is, is Jonathan Kaminga is playing himself through his own leap into making the Warriors situation complicated. Now, to me, because I've also been preaching all in a lot on the Lakers front and like the Lakers and the Warriors situations are pretty different, right? Like, the versions of trades that I've been pitching for the Lakers involve D'Angelo Russell. You know, who's really good, but like, like Jonathan Kaminga is uh, as an asset around the league, like many orders of magnitude higher uh, of higher value. Right? It's like the Lakers are looking at giving up D'Lo and a distant draft pick. It's not the same as giving up Jonathan Kaminga. The Warriors are looking at giving up a guy who could be on the rise to superstardom right before our eyes. Right. LeBron James is 39 years old. Steph Curry is 35. So there's a little bit different level of urgency, right? 
The Lakers are also just closer to contention, right? Like they're higher in the standings. They have 12 wins against 500 or better teams. The Warriors only have seven. So for the Lakers, it's pretty simple. Like, of course you want to trade D'Angelo Russell and a future draft pick to try to win it all this year. But for the Warriors, it's officially complicated. As Jonathan Kaminga has continued to get better and better, while the trade options have gotten worse and worse, it's like OG and Obi's off the table, right? And then it's like, oh, wait, Pascal Siakam's now off the table. You know, like uh, all of these little, uh, even just Terry Rozier off the table. It's like all these options are diminishing while the trade value or, or future potential of Jonathan Kaminga is skyrocketing. And as that is happening, it's just making making things more and more complicated. And now I'm not sure it is worth it to make an all-in move for the Warriors. So the question is, what do you do? And in my opinion, it's complicated because as Kaminga's potential becomes more interesting, you have to remember that Steph plays a role in this. Um, Steph is one of the 10 greatest players of all time. I think he's the fifth best perimeter player in modern basketball history. I have him just behind uh, uh, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and, and Michael Jordan. And he's 35 years old. Uh, he's having a down season, but I'm not necessarily concerned about whether or not he's still Steph. I think he's still Steph. And so there's like this certain element where it's like, you owe it to Steph to try. But at the same time, Jonathan Kaminga is officially looking like he's too good to be traded. So how do you weigh that? And my answer is you got to do something a little bit on the kind of like ancillary level of moves. And so I got a couple that I offered. Um, Moses Moody and Gary Payton the second for Dorian Finney-Smith. So basically turning a bench wing and a guard that can't stay healthy into a 3 and D player, like a legitimate 3 and D player that you could start at the three next to Jonathan Kaminga and improve the spacing of the team and improve, like, uh, I, I think Andrew Wiggins has been playing pretty well over the last couple of games. I, I thought he did a good job on DeJounte Murray in the Hawks game. I thought last night he had a couple of huge above-the-break threes and made some plays uh, with his athleticism on the offensive glass and around the rim. Like, I think Wiggins is trying to figure it out. Um, but like Dorian Finney-Smith would just be kind of like more of a steady option in that sort of way. And, and that obviously maintains Wiggins on the roster as a bench wing and an option you can go to if Jonathan Kaminga does turn into a player that struggles in the playoffs. That's the other part of this. Like as much as my optimism surrounding Kaminga's star potential has improved. Do I think he's going to be a star in the playoffs this year? No, but that's just how NBA history works. Like you're, unless you're one of the truly all-time greats, you know, the guys like Kevin Durant, right? Like, unless you're one of those guys, you, you don't just walk into the playoffs in your early 20s and, and dominate. That's just not how it works, right? So, like, I don't necessarily think Jonathan Kaminga is going to be some playoff star right away, but his potential in the long run is what's making this complicated. And so having Wiggins on the roster still is a value. Dorian Finney-Smith gives you another wing, so that's option one. You could also offer the same package for Tyus Jones if you're looking for offensive creation. Like, once again this year... Like Jonathan Kaminga being basically your second best offensive player, not named Steph, although Clay's starting to play better too. But like you can argue Clay and, and Jonathan Kaminga as your other offensive options next to Steph is is not great, right? Tyus Jones has been one of the best pick and roll players in the league this year. He's getting 1.12 points per possession. That ranks sixth out of 36 players to run at least 400. I think that's a deal that you could get done uh, just based solely on the value of a Moses Moody and what that could mean for the for the for the Wizards, right? So, like, those are just a couple of options. Now, do those put the Warriors into contention? Probably not. But like I said, you owe it to Steph to try. 
you he you owe it to Steph to try to give him more to contend with. But the bottom line is it's the the rise of Jonathan Kaminga, even though it complicates this regular season as it pertains to the timeline, it's undeniably a good thing outside of the context of this season. Like he looks to be on a star trajectory in a very two-way sense. And like to put it simply, at the beginning of this year, it's like Jonathan Kaminga can be a star, like that's his potential. Now it like is like it looks like he's headed that way. And 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 that to me is a big leap in a positive direction for the Warriors. All right, moving on to our mailbag. First question. In your opinion, what has happened to Jordan Poole? Is his steep decline in overall play all about his attitude to his new situation or his skills that much heightened by playing with Steph in the Warriors system? So, uh, for disclaimer up front, I haven't watched a ton of Wizards basketball this year. I've only watched a couple of their games. Um, but here's the thing, and I started to notice this last year. In the 2022 season, Jordan Poole played a very under-control brand of basketball. He did occasionally take tough shots, but he was playing more within the flow of the offense. Starting last year and then extending into this year, Jordan Poole has been leaning into like almost like his brand as being like this very uh, um, flashy is the wrong word. I hate the negative connotations of it, but let's just call it beautiful. Like focusing on the aesthetics of basketball, right? And like here's the thing: like making tough shots is it, 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 it looks great, you know. Hitting that wild spin move into that turnaround fadeaway, man, that makes for a great Instagram reel. And I'm not downplaying that. I love that beauty in the game as well. But basketball is usually more productive when it's boring. And Jordan Poole actually has a lot of the capability to play some boring basketball too. And I just think for him, it's typical young guard growth in the sense that like he's kind of lost track of his priorities a little bit. And give him a couple of years, and he'll figure out that he cares more about winning. Because he is a champion at the end of the day. But he'll figure out that he cares more about winning and being the best basketball player he can be than he does about some of the more beauty-oriented elements of the game. And I think he'll get on track. I don't think, I don't think the 2022 season was fluky. I just think it's more an indicator of inconsistency from a young guard, if that makes sense. Next question. Hey, Jason, can you please talk about the Suns' recent sun, uh, win streak? They've been playing through adversity, adversity and deleting huge leads that other teams have had and doing it with high-level defensive energy and offensive brilliance. KD should be all defense this year with how much effort he's putting in. Thanks for all the great content, Reese from Perth, Australia. Australia. Reese, uh, uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. I sincerely appreciate it, and it's cool. It's always cool to see uh, fans out, uh, outside of the United States, especially just even beyond the um, support of this show, just it's cool to see how global of a sport basketball is. It's something that I think it's underplayed when we talk about NFL versus NBA. And like, you know, the NBA is a global sport. It's just, it's not even on the same playing field as the NFL in terms of its potential in the grand scheme of things. And so uh, I, again, Reese, thanks again for supporting the show and uh, shout out to Australia. My, uh, uh, my buddy, Matt actually played Australian rules football out there. He was one of the groomsmen in my, in my wedding played center at the university of Arizona and, um, uh, went out and played AFL football out there for a little while. So the Suns. first of all, they're on my list to hit very soon. I just haven't gotten to them yet. Um, obviously my vacations have thrown a giant wrench into things, but we will do a more deep dive on the Suns uh, soon. They have a tough back to back on Sunday, Monday against the Orlando magic and the Miami heat. And we'll probably be talking a lot of Suns on Monday and Tuesday coming up, but they've won seven in a row. 
Uh, most interesting part is their top 10 in both defense and rebounding over that span. So really encouraging on the dirty work element side of things. Like again, like that's when we talk about like how the Suns were supposed to look like the 2021 Brooklyn Nets and they haven't like people forget that the 2021 Brooklyn Nets defended like they, they, they guarded. And and that to me is like, it, it, it's a, it is a two way perimeter skill game that ends up winning uh, in the NBA, not just a one-way perimeter skill game, if that makes sense. Some impressive wins in that seven-game winning streak. They went into Los Angeles and smashed the Lakers. They went into New Orleans and won easily against the Pelicans. Uh, but they're really turning a corner when you zoom out. Like Bradley Beal's played 14 straight games for all the talk about his health. He's been available for about a month now. Uh, they're 11-3 in, in those 14 games that Bradley Beal has played. Is They're basically won at a 53-win pace in games that Bradley Beal's been available. I think they're 13-7 and seven in those games. Uh, easily the most exciting part of all of this, though, is Devin Booker has gotten going. He started the season hot and then cooled off massively after that injury that he had. And like just now in this last you know like month or so, he's starting to look like the Devin Booker from the playoffs last year. And that to me is you know kind of a prere- prerequisite to the Suns being a real threat. Because again, like if, if Devin Booker is going to be what he was a few years ago, where he's kind of like a second tier star. Uh, I shouldn't even say second tier, almost like third tier star. Because to me, it's like there's the top, top guys, and then there's like the other superstars, and then there's the guys that are right below superstar. And like Devin Booker used to be in that tier, but recently he's been showing like it, throughout the regular season last year and in the playoffs last year, he's starting to show this like higher level. Like now he's like kind of like a tier B superstar, right? And like it's important for him to get to that level because so is Kevin Durant, and two of those guys just gives you a much better chance to win. I know, big shock. Um, but Devin Booker getting getting going, I think, has played a big role. But they're definitely turning a corner, and we will talk more about them next week. Uh, next question. Jason, would you give us a trade scenario on what the Lakers would have to give up to get Bruce Brown and DeJounte Murray? So, Jovan Buha came on the show yesterday. and We aired the show today, but it came on the show yesterday, and we did like an hour on the Lakers trade deadline, and we did uh, a bunch of scenarios surrounding DeJounte Murray and Bruce Brown and even some other guys. So make sure you check that out on our YouTube feed. Also, shout out to Jovan. He's been awesome for us. And we just signed him to be on the show twice a month through free agency this year. So for Lakers fans, basically once every other week, we're going to have, you know, uh, 45 minutes or so with Jovan where we talk, you know, not just reporting surrounding the trade deadline, but also also like uh, uh, just intel coming from within the locker room. Jovan travels around with the team like he's – like going to be with them on this Grammy road trip. He's going to be able to give us some insights of what's happening inside the locker room. And then obviously when we get outside of the playoffs, he's going to be big for us surrounding the draft and free agency. So shout out to Jovan, uh, officially going to be a recurring guest on the Hoops Tonight show for the rest of this season. Next question. What is the value of screen setting in the NBA? I feel like one of the reasons for Dame's struggles can be because Giannis is not setting good enough screens for him like Nurkic used to do in Portland. I also feel like it affects Giannis because since the second defender doesn't have to step up as much, it clogs the pain for him. Do you think this is a reason why their pick and roll has not been as great as we thought? So here's the thing. I've watched, God, I've watched so many Dame Giannis pick and rolls this year. And Dame, like Giannis is not a good screener. It's not exactly surprising. He, you know, hasn't really had a ton of practice with it over the years, right? Like that was something that early on uh, in, you know, 2019, 2020, 21, like he just wouldn't do all that much, right? Uh, And so there's a certain element of like, kind of like learning how to do it. But at the end of the day, 
the coverage that is implemented in most cases against the Bucks kind of dictates whether or not a screen is as necessary. So first of all, is screening important in the NBA? Absolutely. It's most important in, in when it comes to pick and roll in a drop coverage. The main reason why is like, just visualize it. So uh, a drop coverage, the big man guarding the screener, if this is the basket, the big man dro- guarding the screener is back further towards the basket, right? And then the on-ball defender is chasing over the top of the screen, right? So there's this gap there. And to give the offensive player an opportunity to work in that gap, you need to set a solid enough screen so that the offensive player can get over the top while dragging this guy behind so that he can operate in this mid-range to get to his wide-open looks or maybe pull the drop coverage big up and make something good happen from there. So in that specific situation, like screen setting is vitally important. The in blitzing situations and in hard hedges and shows and things like that, it's actually more important to make yourself available on the roll quicker. And so a lot of these times, like like Giannis, he could set a better screen on Dame's man, but even if he did, like Dame's immediately running into the hedge the hedger or the screen defender, right? And so a lot of times, like Giannis is slipping out of the screen pretty quick. You'll watch just just watch Dame Giannis pick and rolls, and you'll see like he runs over to screen the guy, and he's immediately bailing out of it into the short roll, which he's just trying to make himself available for the pass as quickly as possible as Dame is facing a second defender. The second part of it is icing. So an ice coverage is a pick and roll coverage that you typically see on the sides of the floor. And so imagine Dame on the, like imagine, uh, you know, the baskets here, like I said, and here's your arc, right? And Dame is on the right wing and Giannis comes up to set a ball screen. A lot of times what teams will do is ice those side pick and rolls, meaning the guy guarding Dame will jump high side and basically stand between Dame and the screen and not allow him to use it. And so at that point, same exact sort of thing. Dame's job there is to quickly reject the screen, meaning drive away from the screen, which will then uh, allow him to quickly engage the screen defender. And then as the on-ball guy is now chasing him as he's rejecting the screen, Giannis has an opening in that gap created by the ice coverage. So once again, it's more important for him to slip out of it as quickly as possible. And so again, like, uh, do I think Giannis is a fantastic screener? No. Uh, but I think specifically with a lot of the coverages that Milwaukee is facing, it's more important for Giannis and Dame to kind of figure out the angles for slipping and how to get the ball to him quickly and in space where he can see the floor and make quick reads, whether or not he has an opportunity to drive or to quickly make a pass. Great question, though. thought that was really interesting. Um, two more. What is the next step for Philly? Go for depth or another all-star talent? Assuming Joel can figure it out in the playoffs and Maxi will be effective. So those are two big ifs. Uh, if Joel can be can figure it out in the playoffs and if Tyrese Maxey can be effective. To me, I look at it like this. Like, who are the other two best kind of like front court fulcrums? Right? I should say three best, right? It's Anthony Davis, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's Nikola Jokic. What do those guys have? Like, Anthony Davis has LeBron James and Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. So he's got all of this offensive skill around him to kind of set him up in spots, Right. Uh, Nikola Jokic is one of the best shot makers in the NBA. The guy, one of the best guys at making tough pull up, step back, ISO, pick and roll jump shots, right? And so that basically puts their their two man game in a very 
in a position where it's very difficult to guard. And specifically, the why the reason why I bring those guys up is it translates to the postseason. And so here's the thing: if Tyrese Maxey can bring the same level of of volume and efficiency to the playoffs this year that he does in the regular season, then yeah, that's great. And now it's like you know I've seen a lot of of rumors surrounding Bruce Brown to the uh, to the Sixers basically is and I don't know I guess you're looking at him. Uh, um, as an upgrade of that two spot, right? With uh, where DeAnthony Melton is, but to me that only works or makes sense if Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey can do what you said, which is reach their regular season impact in the postseason. But last year, as a secondary offensive initiator off of James Harden catching the second best perimeter defender, Tyrese Maxey went down six percent in true shooting percentage from regular season to the postseason, and so that's where it gets complicated. And like that's where you have to have tough conversations because. Joel Embiid is still relatively young, but he's got an injury history, and he's huge. And so, like, I don't think he's one of those guys necessarily that you can – I'm not saying he can't, but, like, it, there's some there's some risk involved as it pertains to, like, can Joel Embiid still be at a superstar level when he's 33, right? So, like, there's a little more urgency surrounding Joel. And so there are tough conversations for Daryl Morey to have with his front office about, you know, is Tyrese Maxey good enough? At it as a young guard to be the number two next to Joel and uh, jo- Joel Embiid, the same way that Jamal Murray is for Nikola Jokic, the same way that LeBron James and Austin Reeves is for uh, uh, for Anthony Davis, the same way that Damian Lillard is for uh, for Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? And so that's where it, that's where it gets complicated because like that's why I actually pitched Philly as like an interesting team for a Dejounte Murray trade. Because now you just have a lot more offensive skill in your backcourt. Another guy who can consistently beat people off the dribble and get the defense into rotation. Uh, to me, that's more of an offensive-minded upgrade of that of that two spot. Um, but like at the end of the day, like who's the all-star guy you'd be going after? I mean, like maybe you go all in for like a Lori Markinen and you uh, uh, add a lot of shooting and size into that front court. Like there, but like that's the thing is like I'm not necessarily sure that there's that type of all in move available. But from a philosophical standpoint, it's just important for Daryl Morey in the front office to have a conversation about the timeline of like Tyrese Maxey's rise as it pertains to Joel Anthony and his prime and how. Or I keep saying Joel Anthony. <laughs> Joel Embiid and and his Joel shout out Joel Anthony on the the Miami Heat back in the early 2010s, but uh, uh, just it's just kind of like weighing that timeline there. And 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 you guys know how I feel about trusting young players in the playoffs, but that's for the Sixers to decide. Lastly, before we get out of here, have you been talked to by a player that you have covered? If so, how was it? Uh, so yes, I have. And uh, it has been overwhelmingly positive. I have not, I've seen examples of players like really going after members of the media that to this point hasn't happened to me yet. Uh, it's been pleasant. Um, I, I've, people forget, like, I, I, I've spent my young adulthood around the game of basketball. So, like, I've talked to lots of NBA players, I've played with lots of NBA players. Like, uh, there are guys all over the league that I've played in games with before. Um, so like for me, it just kind of feels somewhat natural just cause I, I've had those kinds of conversations before, but I will say it's surreal from the standpoint of, of it being just kind of a sign of the show gaining some legitimacy, which is obviously something that I, I don't take for granted. Uh, but at the same time, like, uh, I know that it, there's an ugly side to that too. And, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it, it will eventually happen that I'll say something about a player and then they'll come after me, but that's just kind of the name of the game, right? That, like I, one of the things that I'm most interested in, if I ever do player interviews in the future is picking players brains about the media player relationship. 
Cause I think it's super fascinating. Like, like I know I do the work. Like I know I study the film. I know that I don't just come up here and talk for the sake of talking. Uh, but at the same time, like I'm not an NBA player. And even though I have a basketball background and even though I have played, and even though I think I'm a good basketball player, I'm not an NBA player. And so like, imagine the roles were reversed and I'm an NBA player and this dude who played in college, but didn't make it out of the, uh, didn't make it to the NBA is like, you know, sitting in his guest bedroom talking shit. <laughs> you know, Like I'd be like, what the hell dude? You know, like, so like I, I, I do find that dynamic super interesting. Cause on one hand it's like, that's my job. My job is to not just come up here and praise players, but to offer criticism. Like I, I try to be like incredible. I try to just be fair as, as much as I can. But at the same time, like there's a certain like respect barrier as it pertains to the NBA. And like, I just have so much respect for NBA players and what they accomplish. And like, I just think it's fascinating. And I would love to uh, pick players brains about that in the future, just specifically um, the relationship between players and the media. But yeah, I have talked to NBA players since I started the show. It went well. Um, obviously to respect those players privacy, I won't uh, mention anybody by name. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. As always, I appreciate you guys for supporting the show. The, <clears throat> The game plan for the rest of this weekend is we're we're going uh, live on YouTube after Lakers Warriors tomorrow night. That game is on ABC, I believe. And then we'll be taking Sunday off and then we'll be back on Monday for power rankings as well as game breakdowns. I will see you guys tomorrow night. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.